you have your Bibles, take them and turn, please, to the book of Exodus, chapter 20. As we continue going through the book of Exodus, where God has seen his people enslaved in Egypt, and he remembered them, and he loved them, and he came and he flexed the power of his mighty arm before them to redeem them out of slavery, to defeat his and their enemies, the Egyptians, and to save them by the blood of a lamb, and to bring them to himself, to lead them through the wilderness, to draw them now to Sinai, where he is revealing more and more of himself, his character, his will, his desires, and his law to his people. And each of the Ten Commandments is meant to point us towards Christ, to see Christ as the one who is the fulfillment of the law, who is our Savior, who lived a perfect life on our behalf, who died a sacrificial death for us, and now gives us his righteousness as a gift to be received by faith alone, so that now we are counted as righteous in God's sight, even though on our own we are unrighteous, but by faith in Christ we receive his righteousness. And there's nothing like going back as believers to read through the law, Old Testament, even the Ten Commandments and what follows, to help us grow, to help us to see now the depth of our own sin. And we're trying to do what I've called reading the law by faith. So that when we see our sin and that is exposed by the word of God, it doesn't lead us to despair. It doesn't cause us to go back into the fear and dread of the tomb, knowing that, yes, we are in fact sinners and condemned by the law, but rather we read it by faith, and so it leads us to Christ. And therefore, the more we see our sin, the more grateful we become for the work of Jesus. And the more we know the depth of our own sin, we see our iniquity and our sin is ever before us, we also see Jesus. And we see the, the, the grandeur of his work and we see the size of his mercy and the depth of his grace. And the more we desire to love Jesus, to obey Jesus, to walk with Jesus, to have fellowship with God through Jesus. That's why we read the law. That's why we read it, that we might grow in our love for Christ. So I'm going to read again chapter 20, verses 1 through 21. Uh, the Ten Commandments, we're, we're spending today again on the Fourth Commandment to, to go a little deeper into what the Sabbath law means, not only what it meant for Israel, but what it means for us today and how do we obey this command today. So I want to read the word for us. Would you join me in standing as we show our reverence for the word of God? Exodus 20, starting in verse 1. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquities of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day 
to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Now, when all of the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. They stood far off and they said to Moses, You speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us, lest we die. Moses said to the people, Do not fear. For God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your word that is given to open our eyes and to make us wise unto salvation. We pray that you will now attend the reading and the hearing and the teaching of your word with the power of your spirit, that we might have eyes to see, ears to hear, that you might lead us step by step to our Savior, Jesus Christ, that we might find in him every blessing in heaven and on earth prepared for us, his children. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Please be seated. So last week we began to look at the fourth commandment, and I want to continue this today. Like I said last week, This is my favorite commandment. If you're allowed to pick a favorite, just one of the ten, this is it for me. I find it to be the most fascinating. Uh, It's perhaps the most unique in in terms of the way that this commandment is developed throughout Scripture, in terms of the way that it so clearly and specifically leads us to Jesus, in terms of the way that we now, as, as New Covenant, New Testament believers in Jesus, look back on this command and how we obey it today. That's really what I want to talk about today is is not only what did it mean for Israel in the Old Testament, but what does it mean for us today? Last week we tried to get at the heart of this commandment, that it's to be a day of rest, the entire community. It's a holy day. It's holy to the Lord your God as a day of of rest. That it's a patterned after God himself. He says that in the command, that as he worked six days and then rested on the seventh day, that he set a model for us in our work and in our rest. We saw that it is a gracious command. It's not meant to be a a burden. It's not meant to to be a a heavy yoke. It's indeed given to us, out of God's grace, to give us a day of rest. And we saw last week how it begins to foreshadow for us the gospel itself, that as we are to find rest in the gift of God of the Sabbath, that that shows us something about the gospel, that we do not earn God's favor with our work. We are granted it as a gift for us to rest in. I want to go a lot deeper into that in just a moment. But what we're going to do today is to look at two specific applications. For us as believers, the New Covenant, two specific ways that we can apply the fourth commandment for us today. 
And the reason that I'm spending two weeks on one commandment is, is because I really want us to be in the habit of, of doing at least two things when we read the Bible. Thinking carefully and obeying faithfully. Thinking carefully, obeying faithfully. So when we read the Bible, whether it's together or, or individually, I want us to be in the habit of, of trying to understand really what, what we're reading and how it applies to our lives today. Really getting to know God through his word. Not falling into the habit that can be easy for us of, of skimming the pages, turning it over, but not, not understanding and not seeking to truly absorb what the word has to teach us. So we want to think carefully, but also to obey faithfully. It's never enough, is it, just to, to read and, and to understand sort of mentally, but to be willing to read, humble ourselves before the word, to be able to obey it, to ask, what does it look like in, in my life, in everyday real-life situations for me of my life to obey the word of God, to put it into practice, to not be those who simply read and then forget, go away and we don't do any of it. But we are to read the Bible and we're to ask, how do we obey it? How can we make changes in our lives in order to obey? So, therefore, we have to spend at least two weeks on this commandment to really get into the, the depth of the riches of God's word for us. So, here's the two applications. How do you obey the Sabbath command today? Here's two ways. First, we obey the Sabbath by trusting in Jesus. And then second, we obey the Sabbath by learning real rest. Those are the two points today. We obey the Sabbath by trusting in Jesus. And then secondly, we obey the Sabbath even today by learning what it is to rest. So first, I wanted to do what I said and go deeper into how the, the Sabbath command leads us to Jesus. We said last week that, that it's this gift of rest. Rest means that, that if, if the day of rest is the day that is holy and it's holy to the Lord your God, and that means God loves you for who you are, not for what you do. That even on the day when you're completely unproductive, when it's just pure rest, when you're not working, you're not creating, you're not doing, that God is pleased with you. Because that's the day that he gives to be a holy day to the Lord your God, which, which just teaches us that rest comes as a gift. Now, I want you to turn in your Bibles to, to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11, I want, to, I want to show you what Jesus does with this. <clears throat> At the end of chapter 11, we hear this from Jesus. I'll start, I'll just read from verse 25 in chapter 11. And, and I'm not going to read into chapter 12, but I want you to notice what happens in chapter 12, is that that is a story of several disputes that Jesus has with the Pharisees about the Sabbath. And so that's, that's what's coming next. It's going to be these issues of, of the disciples picking grain on the Sabbath and Jesus healing a man with a withered hand on the Sabbath and the Pharisees getting all up on him about this as to whether or not those are allowed. But here's what comes right before it. Chapter 11 of, of Matthew, starting in verse 25. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, 
and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Now listen to these verses. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You've probably heard those verses before. But perhaps you've never noticed that those are given to us in the context of talking about the Sabbath. Well, isn't that an interesting juxtaposition that, that first we hear Jesus say to the people, come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And then immediately there's two stories about the Sabbath about what it is lawful to, to do on the Sabbath, how we are to treat the Sabbath. I don't think that's an accidental juxtaposition of these two stories that are given to us back to back because they're both presenting us with this question of where do we really find rest? What does it mean to rest? How do we, how do we find rest? We, we live in a world that is filled with weary people who are broken down, who need Restoration. who need to find real, true rest. And that's the question. And these two juxtapositions offer us two different answers, right? The Pharisees would give the answer of, of saying, well, if you need rest, what you need to do is you need to go back to the law. You need to read the Ten Commandments. Maybe read them a little bit more carefully. You need to tighten up some of your Sabbath observances, right? Because you're getting the details all wrong. You're doing things that are not allowed, but Jesus says something entirely different. To those who are seeking rest, to those who are weary, to those who are heavy laden, he says, come to me. I will give you rest. He says that the, the real true source of rest for our souls is not going to be found simply in being more careful with the law, simply doing better tightening up our, our law observing. He says, if you are weary, come to me. True rest is found not in what we do, it's in Christ. And he invites people then to come to him. He didn't send people back to the law. Now that was not because the law is bad, it's not because there was anything deficient or lacking in the law or the Sabbath, but he does it, why? Because chapter 12, verse 8, what's he say? The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. In other words, if you truly understand the Sabbath, it leads to Jesus. He is the Lord of the Sabbath, or we might say it this way, Jesus is the true Sabbath. So to observe Sabbath, to keep Sabbath, is not to, to, to do what the law says, physically resting on the seventh day every week. Rather, the real true observance is to go to Christ, to find in Jesus real rest. There's this real irony here. The, why are the Pharisees arguing with Jesus, the Lord of the Sabbath, over the right way to observe Sabbath. Right? They're missing who Jesus is, that he is the Lord of the Sabbath. Now, just by means of application of this, I, I think it's easy to pick on the Pharisees, isn't it? It's such an easy target. They're, they're always getting it wrong in the Gospels, but I think it's important for us to see that we do the same thing. I know I do. I you know, I grew up around the Navigators. It's a campus ministry, and, and one of the hallmarks of the Navigators in their ministry is the practice of scripture memory. That's one of the things that they are good at, they have a big focus on, they do a lot of scripture memory. 
which I think is one of the most beneficial spiritual disciplines that most people never practice. To memorize the word of God and to hide it in our heart is fantastic, and I recommend it. But the problem for me is, when I was in college, I did a lot of scripture memory, and the problem was I was good at it. I, it came easy. I have, a, I have a good short-term memory, and I could commit things to memory, and I could, could say them back to people pretty well. Now, uh, the problem for me was that in being good at it, I forgot why I was doing it. Right? I, I just enjoyed being good at something. And so I memorized a lot of verses and I could say them back really fast. You wouldn't believe how fast I could say them. But that was all my pride, is, is that, that I could do it like that. I, it wasn't about drawing closer to God, keeping myself from sin, meditating on his word day and night. All the reasons the Bible gives us for scripture memory were lost on me because I was so caught up in the technicalities of the discipline itself and whether I was doing it right, whether I could try to do it better. And then one day I was, I was reviewing with, some, with one of my friends, my friend Ryan, and I said to him, Psalm 86.15, Blessed are those who have learned to acclaim you, who walk in the light of your presence, O Lord. And he, he just stopped and he said, Hmm, have you ever thought about what it means to acclaim someone? Uh, I said, no. And, and, all, and it just hit me. He's like, well, what am I doing? I've memorized all these verses and I've never stopped to think about them. I've never actually meditated on these things. I, I don't even understand what I'm doing. I'm just memorizing verses for the ritual of it. And they were doing me no real spiritual good because I didn't enjoy the presence of God. And, and in these passages in Matthew 12, that's exactly what the Pharisees are doing. They have gotten so caught up in observing the ritual, in practicing all the details of Sabbath observance, so that they keep the Sabbath better than anybody. Nobody rests like they rest. And they get on others who aren't as good at it, but in their being good at it, they've completely missed the point. That the point of Sabbath observance is not a checklist of how you do it well. The point is that it was to lead us to Christ. It was, it was that we would learn that God delights in us when we are at rest, when we are not earning, working, producing, and therefore to understand that God's favor to us is purely a gift. See, I, I know there's some of us, and I know that because I'm one of them, that has this natural tendency to come to the Ten Commandments and to say, all right, I'm up for a challenge. I'm going to do these better than any of you. And in doing that, we totally miss the point. That, that these are not ten steps to earning God's favor. It's not ten steps to living the life that will cause God to love you. But the Sabbath command, like all of the commands, are meant to lead us back to Jesus Christ and to find our salvation in him. Which is why we have this picture in Matthew of Jesus standing up in the context of Sabbath, and he says, do you need rest? Are you weary? Are you heavy laden? Yes, yes, yes. Come to me. Because Jesus is the true Sabbath. Jesus is the place we go to find real rest. Jesus is the gift given by God to his people in whom we find rest. In whom we find rest. Now, Take your Bibles and, and turn over one more time. Go to Colossians chapter 2. 
Colossians chapter 2. I want us to see this one more place. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. Colossians 2. Here, in these verses, Paul says even more clearly and even more explicitly exactly what I believe we saw in the Gospels. Look at Colossians 2.16. Paul writes, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink, or with regards to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So there's a couple things that are causing some controversy and they're causing some division in the church. There's questions about food and drink that's probably related to some of the dietary laws. And there's questions about how to properly observe some of the holy days, namely the festivals, the new moons, and the Sabbaths. Those were the three major categories of holy days in the Old Testament. And there's some questions. What, what do we do? And perhaps there were some teachers in the church who were teaching that, that you had to observe those in order to truly be a Christian. You had to maintain these laws. And Paul says something that's so interesting here. He says, don't let anyone pass judgment on you for these. Don't let anyone pass judgment. These are laws from the Old Testament. How could he say, don't let anyone pass judgment on you if, if it's the word of God, but, but there's something he says that's even greater. He says... Verse 17, these things are a shadow of what was to come. Jesus is the substance of those things. In other words, he reads these laws and he says those laws were so good and so gracious for a time because the whole point of those laws was to lead us to Christ so that when Christ would come, we would see here is the fulfillment of everything that we've been waiting for. Here is the substance that each of these laws was was getting at, was driving us to. And when the substance comes, he says, you'd be silly to just stick with the shadows and not embrace the true reality. That would be to miss the point. If Jesus himself is the substance of the Sabbath, then he says, in another way, exactly what Jesus has said, we need to rest in Christ. That Jesus is our true Sabbath and, and what we do, and this is how we obey the fourth commandment, is first by putting our faith in Jesus and finding rest in him. Now here's the question. How many of us can say that we truly find rest in Jesus? Now that is a, a question about our spiritual rest. Can we say that we really have a true sense, a spiritual sense of our sin and what it deserves. And yet, despite that, we are able to joyfully rest in Jesus, knowing that he has paid the penalty for our sin. And we can rest in Christ. But it's also very practical. How many of us can look past all of our discontentments in life and find true rest in Jesus? Despite perhaps our, our how dissatisfying life can be. Maybe your life is filled with frustration. Maybe it's filled with anxiety. Maybe there are things that weigh you down. Can you go to Jesus as the one who offers rest and, and sincerely say to yourself, it, 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 just, it doesn't matter what else is going on in life. I can find rest for my soul in Jesus. That's not an easy thing to say. And yet, isn't that the invitation? 
Come to me, all, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Because that means for, for us, in our heart and our soul, we, we see that we find in Jesus something that is better than anything else this world has to offer. And, and so we can sincerely then say, if we have Jesus, I can rest in that. Right? I'm not, I'm not striving, I'm not anxious about my fears of what I do or don't have in this life or how things are or are not going for me in this world. But I find rest in Jesus. If Jesus is the substance of what the shadow is pointing to, then we find our Sabbath rest, not, not necessarily by physically resting every seventh day, right, every Saturday, we find rest by going to Jesus, the substance of what the shadow was pointing us towards. That's what this command means for us today, that we rest first and foremost in Jesus. This is what the Heidelberg Catechism teaches. The Heidelberg Catechism, as it's going through the Ten Commandments, it asks the question, what is God's will for you in the Fourth Commandment? And it, it makes two points. They're a little different than mine. First, that the gospel ministry and education for it be maintained. And that especially on the festive day of rest, I diligently attend the assembly of God's people to learn what God's word teaches, to participate in the sacraments, and to pray to God publicly and to bring Christian offerings for the poor. That's one. But number two, he says, second, this is God's will for us in the command, second, that every day of my life I rest from my evil ways and let the Lord work in me through his spirit and so begin in this life the eternal Sabbath. But that is how we obey the fourth commandment is every day of our lives, not just the seventh, every day. We rest. We find rest in Jesus. Now, <clears throat> that's, that's number one. That's the first point. That's how we obey. But there's a second way we obey the command, and that is also by learning how to rest, by learning real rest. I think we see, in addition to going straight to Jesus, which is number one, that this commandment also teaches us something that's of great practical wisdom for us, something that's of great practical value. And that is that as human beings, we need to learn how to rest, like actually rest. This, so there's three reasons that we need to learn to rest, and I'm going to spell them out. And they're all spiritual benefits even though they're not all spiritual-sounding reasons, the benefits of these things. The first reason we need to learn how to rest is to remember that we're creatures and that we need physical rest. This is just the reality of the way that God has created human beings. God is the creator. We are the creature. And God has very lovingly created us with limitations. He has lovingly created us with limitations. We're not all knowing. We're not all powerful. We don't have endless supplies of energy and strength. We need rest. Andy Crouch makes an interesting distinction. He says, he makes a distinction between the pattern that God has given us of work and rest, work and rest. He says, we often in this fallen world trade that for a substitute of toil and leisure. Rather than work and rest, he says, we, we fall into this pattern of toil and leisure. And he says, work, it's meant to be good, meant to be satisfying, beneficial, productive. Instead, what it often becomes for us in this fallen world is just mere toil. It becomes a drudgery. It's not satisfying. It's not fulfilling. It's not productive. So our, our work becomes sort of degraded by the fall and by sin. 
But he says, so does our rest. And our rest, which is meant to be good and, and restorative, right? rest, restorative, and, and soul-satisfying and worshipful, he says, so often we replace that simply with leisure, which is, is mindless. It's, it's mindless entertainment, mindless time in front of our, our screens. It, it might be physically inactive, but it's not truly restorative. It says we just go into cruise control and we just are mindless for a while and we call that our rest. He says that's not, that's not true rest because you don't come out of that physically and emotionally and mentally and spiritually recharged. It says the real day of rest is meant to be restorative as a whole person. So here's the, the first reason we need rest is, is because we do. We're creatures. We need to be restored. But the second benefit of practicing rest is practicing practical dependence on God and learning what it is to live in dependence on God. I, had a, I came across this article a, a while ago by John Piper, and he was wrestling with the question that was haunting him at the time of why we need sleep. He said, God could have created us any way he wanted. If he had wanted, he could have created us not to ever need sleep. So why did he make us in such a way that we spend a third of our lives unconscious, completely unproductive, doing nothing? Why did he do that to us? And it's similar to the way we think about rest, right? Perhaps our first thought when we hear all this talk about rest is, come on, there's stuff to do. Why would God make it so that we need rest? And he goes to Psalm 127, which says, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It's in vain that you rise up early and go late to bed, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. It's funny, the psalm is actually asking the exact opposite question. Right? This... Piper is asking, why do we have to rest? Why do we have to sleep? Why is the world like that? The psalmist asks, why do you not rest? Why do you get up early? Why do you go to bed so late? Why are you eating the bread of anxious toil? When God gives to his beloved rest, he says it is in vain that the, that the builder builds the house unless the Lord is watching over it says it's in vain for the watchman of the city to stay awake all night watching unless it's the Lord who guards the city. Why are we laboring so hard? Why do we work without ceasing? Often it's because we have not learned how to depend on the Lord for every good gift. Often it's because we're still living out of this mindset that we have to produce for ourselves some kind of manufactured identity to define who we are, to give us worth and to give us value. And we think it all depends on how much content I can produce. And it all depends on how good my resume looks. And I think one of the great gifts of rest, not only does it restore us, but it helps to, to disattach our hearts from this idol and from this lie that we are in charge of creating our own identity by what we do. As I think of the church, especially here in Los Angeles, I think this is one of the most important things that we can do because it goes against the grain so sharply of what we are as a society, right? L.A. is, is one of these meritocracies, at least we want it to be, where you have to earn your place. 
Only the strong survive. You're only as relevant as your latest success. And and the gift of, of rest in Christ simply washes all that away and says that's not true. You are not valuable and worthy and loved because of what you've done, but because of who you are and because God in Christ has chosen you from before the foundation of the world to be his. And it doesn't matter what you do. Yes, he gives us the gift of work and he wants us to work, but that is not what earns us God's favor. I think the fact that rest is so difficult for us is often a symptom showing us that something is very wrong in our souls if it's hard for us to rest. Now here's the last, the last reason we need rest. It's for, our, for physical restoration, it's to learn dependence on God, and it's also for the spiritual benefit of walking with God, walking with God. I used to have a little tiny booklet on my shelf called The Tyranny of the Urgent. And it was very short, and it only made one point. And that is that when we get busy, all of us are busy. When we're busy, we tend to let the urgent things crowd out the important things. In other words, when we have to prioritize, there's always something that feels urgent, that feels like it demands our attention right away, that feels like we must tend to it. And so the other things get pushed aside. And he says, it's usually those other things that are truly more important, but they don't feel as urgent at the time. Things like meditating on the scriptures. Things like truly giving ourselves over to just enjoying the fellowship of the Lord, being in his presence. Spending time in prayer. Are those not the most important things, and yet those don't feel urgent to us? Everything else is pressing on us and feels more urgent. And so they push out the important things. And we need to, we need to rest. Rest is a way of, of simply stepping back and saying, what truly deserves my time and my energy? Right? It's, it's the last, my kids just had their last day of school, and so we had the opportunity to go back and look at their first day of school pictures and put it next to their last day of school pictures and even to see, wow, in the last nine months, they've really changed. They've really grown. And, and as a parent, you look at those and you think, wow, they grow up so fast. They're only young once. Was I really present? Am I really enjoying these days? Am I really making the most of them while the kids are, are little and they're here and they're so sweet? We need to do the same thing spiritually, to have that chance to, to just step back, to reevaluate, to say, Lord, how am I spending my time? Is it on the things that really matter? Or am I just urgently going from one thing to the next? I think that's what Psalm 90 is saying. Lord, teach us to number our days that we might gain a heart of wisdom. I think that's part of the logic of the Sabbath command. It's simply very practical. It's simply very practical that God knows our hearts. He knows that rest is hard. He knows that we're trying to make something for ourselves out of nothing. He knows how prone we are to overscheduling ourselves and, and running around like headless chickens. And he has a very simple prescription for us. Rest. Jesus, who says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. What a gift that is for us today. To find rest. Spiritual rest in Jesus. Real practical, everyday rest that is given to us because we believe the gospel, which frees us to rest, which gives us the gift 
of rest. Our hearts suffer when we're too busy. But Jesus invites you to a yoke that is easy, to a burden that is light. Doesn't that sound good? Isn't isn't rest simply one more sign that God loves us? Isn't it good to be a Christian? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Christ. We thank you for the gift of your grace. We thank you for every single truth of the gospel, which tells us that we are, are not who we make ourselves to be, but we are who you have made us to be. And that in Christ we enjoy every blessing in heaven and on earth given to us as a gift. We pray, Lord, that you will be our teacher, that your spirit will take your word and apply it to our hearts, that we might see and know and love our Savior, Jesus Christ. And in him may we find our true rest. In Jesus' name, amen.